What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Jack MacArthur, alongside my co-host, Jeremy. And, you know, we haven't been recording uh, a podcast episode for a while. We haven't recorded a podcast episode for a while because, um, you know, my cat has been waking me up at 6, 7, 8 in the morning, and I've been going to sleep at 4 a.m., so my sleep schedule's all messed up. But finally, guys, we're back. So uh, we're back here to record another episode. This is episode four now. Um, don't forget to leave a review. And for, first off, we are going to talk about the MLB standings update. Let's get into it, Jeremy. All right, so we're starting the AL, where the Tampa Bay Rays are still on top of the AL East. Um, Houston Astros are still on top of the AL West. And the Chicago White Sox are still on top of the AL Central. But the Yankees, the Yankees have flown through right up into the top wildcard spot. Um, and they're three games up in the wildcard spot, uh, the top wildcard spot. Um, they currently on a 12-game win streak. Um, like I said, they had a good trade deadline, so no surprises there. Um, Boston rounds out the final wildcard spot for now, and they're two and a half games up uh, up of the Oakland A's, uh, who have had a very bad stretch. Um, now we're going to move to the NL. In the NL West, the San Francisco Giants still on top. You know, they've been killing it, still killing it. Um, although the Dodgers are closing, we'll see. This is going to be the NL West going to be a little bit of an interesting race to end the season. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a very competitive division. You know, the Giants, they got Chris Bryant, they got a bunch of good hitters, and then the Dodgers have the most insane pitching core ever. So, honestly, this is a very, very exciting race. And then the Padres. Not too far behind, 68 and 61 right now. Just over seven games over 500. I mean, honestly, they have a tough schedule ahead of them, but the Padres are still uh, fighting as well. Yeah, and here's the thing, right? Padres are injured currently, but they do play the Giants later in the month, and that's a big series for the Giants because obviously, even though the Padres have been struggling as of late, they're still a super talented team, and so the Giants need to win as many games as possible to keep that... um, to keep their number one seed in the NL. Now leading the NL Central is Milwaukee. No surprises there. Peralta, Burns, and Woodruff. That's the best trio, like the top three starters in baseball, in my opinion. Um, and they're holding down the fort there. They got Christian Yelich. And, you know, the Brewers and Tampa Bay Rays, for whatever reason, always find a way to just make things work with their team like i've never feel like they have you know the best team on paper but they are always so good and then leading the nl east we have the atlanta braves which they came out of nowhere you know tends to happen they tend to do pretty well post uh trade deadline but you know with acuna hurt you know, people are like, oh, what's going to happen? And they've just come out on all cylinders and just have taken that division, which is, it's not a good division, uh, to say the least. But then the wild card, you got the Dodgers, who have the second best record in baseball, but they're going to be, they could be a wild card team very well. And then you have the Cincinnati Reds, who are two games up on the San Diego Padres which hurts. It hurts. I can't lie. 
that's just baseball. That's just baseball, man. Um, yeah. Still, still got some games left, so we'll see what happens. All right. Let's move into our next topic, which is kind of a mailbag question thing. Uh, yeah. We might start a segment like this. Um, who just knows? Like ask, ask us questions, and we try to answer our best. You know, try to answer them to yeah. our best ability. So you know, my dad was texting me about you know how uh, Oregon didn't necessarily have the strongest twenty twenty two class, and it wouldn't finish that strongly. Um, and this is talking about football recruiting. And, you know, as somebody who kind of follows recruiting pretty closely to an extent, um, I thought I'd touch on this. Um, I feel like this year the recruiting rankings for players aren't quite as accurate. Um, And if you don't know anything about recruiting, players get ranked based on how they uh, do in recruiting. camps like how they perform in camps and if they go to camps and they do well you know they get highs on them because those are kind of the places where they're evaluated um and so guys are rated highly because they get good camp exposure um so a lot of the times some guys don't really go to that many camps so they're not getting a lot of camp exposure but they'll get some pretty good offers because they're actually a very talented football player so they're going to be ranked slightly lower uh, but they're not going to be, but they're not really, that's not their true value rank. Um, and first off, recruiting rankings matter. Like, it's the truth. Um, they basically evaluate players on potential. Um, so if you're a five-star, that means you're uber talented and you're most likely, if you live up to, it's not about living up to it, I guess. They're saying that you're this talented, and so they expect you to be a first-round pick. Now, that doesn't necessarily pan out all the time, but it's getting more and more accurate as they're able to evaluate more and whatever uh, with more technology. But last year, obviously, unless somehow you were in a coma, we all dealt with COVID. So a lot of camps were canceled football seasons were canceled, the whole deal. Um, So there were like no camps in 2020 um, through spring of 2020, I think into early part of 2021. So for a whole year. So you had, that's like for the class of 2022, they missed their main evaluation period. Main evaluation period tends to be um, the end of your sophomore year going into your junior year, uh, that part. That's a big evaluation period. And then the next one is going to be the end of your junior going into your senior year. And so they missed like two, I mean, not completely on the second one, but they missed two very um, important evaluation periods for rankings. Um, And so you've seen kids um, maybe get offers who are unranked this year. I've seen that quite a bit from bigger teams. Um, and that's because they're starting to be able to be evaluated at a much closer level because that's kind of how recruiting works. You can't have contact with a player until a certain period of time has passed through their high school careers. They have to be a certain grade to have that happen. So, I mean, obviously you can offer before that, but right. you're starting to see a little bit more evaluation from uh, the industry 
like 247, Rivals, ESPN, even though ESPN is not very trustworthy when it comes Huddle. to Huddle. I mean, Huddle, there's lots, lots of people putting their, their yeah, uh, highlights, highlights tapes, yeah. tapes out there. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at people, like look at a state like California, for example, they didn't have a high school season. Um, except they had one in the spring, but you know, a lot of guys sat out. It was like a very small, not really a real season to say, because you know, it wasn't, it didn't have that feel. It was not as long. There wasn't really, I don't know. There was not that much writing on it. So obviously if you're not really playing a football season, you can't be evaluated as such. Um, and so I think the rankings are off. Um, so now I think the rankings are going to change. They always are changing, but I think this is kind of a prime time for that because they're able to now more evaluate these talents. And so, um, this year, especially don't worry too much about the rankings now, and maybe not even as much at the end of the, uh, recruiting, uh, evaluation, the final rankings come out because they really didn't get a chance to evaluate as many players in the same circumstance. And so I've always thought this, but a better way to evaluate if a guy is really that good is you look at his offers. If a guy's a three-star, but he has offers from Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, Florida, you know, big-time schools, and they're all fine to try to get him, he's probably better than his ranking. Um, and obviously some guys get offers and they're not necessarily a take, but at the same time, if you're garnering interest from a lot of bigger universities, even if some of them are non-committable offers, it still means you're, um, pretty elite level player. So that's all I've got to say on that topic. Yeah. I mean, the. Obviously, it's just a dead period, and it was a dead period for a while, and it was a tough time with COVID. Uh, like you said, there you know weren't very many camps, and you know uh, shortened football season and COVID issues and all that stuff. But you know, I think that things are going back to normal now, and the Ducks have a what top six recruiting class in twenty twenty two, and in the preseason poll this year, they're ranked top eleven, top twelve, top ten. So, you know, Ducks have definitely been you know improving a lot with Cristobal as their head coach. Um, but I think that they're going back to being more accurate now, you know, as in, the, you know, with the rankings and the recruits and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, a guy I would kind of use an example is uh, obviously his 2021 class, but it's uh, Troy Franklin. He's a duck. Obviously, I'm a bit biased, but the thing is he was a borderline five-star going in didn't have a season, didn't have an evaluation period before his senior year. And so he never moved up into that five-star rank. So that, that can happen, right? If he had had a season, maybe he would have dropped, maybe he wouldn't have, but he's been performing super well. He performed super well in the spring and he's performed super well in fall camp and is probably going to vie for playing time. So obviously he was a super high four-star, so that's not necessarily surprising, but things like that that's kind of what i'm trying to get at is that just because um a guy's ranked somewhere does not mean that's his true talent yeah it's true okay so we're gonna move on from recruiting 
to a little bit of NCAA football drama. Um, this is coming out of Nebraska. Um, Nebraska announced that the NCAA is looking into its football program after a report said Cornhusker staff improperly used analysts and consultants with the knowledge of coach Scott Frost and even moved workouts off campus last year when such activities were banned during the pandemic. So this is kind of interesting. Um, if you remember all the way back then, Nebraska was very much opposed to the cancellation of the football season. Um, had some bickering with the entire Big Ten on this whole thing. Um, and then turns out that they were hosting off-campus workouts and misusing uh, staff. Um, the misusing staff part, um, obviously, I haven't been able to find out exactly what they were doing. Um, with that, um, that one's not as big of an issue, but the off-campus workout thing is, that's more of an issue because there is kind of a rule that during certain periods of time, uh, coaches aren't allowed to actually have contact with the athletes. Um, and like, in like a football workout setting. So I'll be interested to see what the NCAA does with that. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting, man. Um, weird thing is as well is that Nebraska seems like they were cheating and yet they're kind of a mediocre football program at this moment in time. I have nothing against Nebraska, but they're not, they're not the old power they used to be. I think they've kind of gone into this place where they're kind of just going to be mediocre forever because, you know, to be successful football program, you're going to have to recruit. And there's not that many top level guys in the state of Nebraska that they can try to keep home. And even when there have been, they haven't been able to. And then it's hard to pull guys from Texas and California to a place like Nebraska. So, yeah. Um, so let's move away from that. We're going to touch on Nebraska again later. Um, but first, AP poll came out a bit ago. Um, obviously, Alabama came out as number one in the AP poll. Um, it's the 131st time they've been ranked number one in the AP poll. Um, is yeah, yeah, I mean Alabama's Alabama's always stacked, dude. Like they're always a top three team, regardless. Exactly. Obviously, they're going to be breaking out a new quarterback. But here's the thing: for you guys that aren't necessarily a fan of top tier college football teams, like the upper echelon, um, a lot of teams at the top. It doesn't matter who they lose because they have so much talent and depth that they reload completely fine, which is why you always see teams like Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson are always up in the upper echelon, no matter how many guys they lose from the year prior, because it doesn't really matter. Whereas, you know, as a fan of, let's say, team like, hmm, who's a good team? I mean, like, maybe... Uh, what I was going to say is it's just kind of interesting because obviously Alabama, you know, Clemson and Ohio State are always in that top five. But then when you look at teams like LSU, they had Joe Burrow and they had a bunch of good receivers. 
but then they left, and now they're, what, ranked 16th? So, I mean, it really depends on the program, but obviously LSU is still still a top-20 team, but they're not, like, top-10 or top-5, like Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. Yeah, I think Cincinnati is probably the best example currently. Um, they still have good players on their team, but when those guys leave behind them, they don't necessarily have the talent to just reload. And so you've got some teams that are more cyclical in their success where, you know, they'll be good and then they'll be good again. Maybe they'll, they're going to be great and then they're good and then they're great again in a couple of years. Um, but the top teams never have to go through that because they've, they'll have a three-year starter who's going to be a first-round pick and then right behind them they got, have a guy that out of high school is a five-star and is in like two years going to be a first round pick himself. So, I mean, the thing about college football is the richer have always gotten richer. So that, that's what I got to say about that. Um, Yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah. I'd like to say there are a bit of surprises when it comes to the rankings for me. Um, I'm a bit surprised Arizona state is ranked because they're not super good. Well, they have talent, but they've also got a bunch of things going on with the program where they don't have coaches because they're suspended. Um, and they um, they kind of lack a bit in the trenches when it comes to talent. Um, and the trenches are what wins football games, although they are in the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is not one of the better conferences, especially when it comes to trenches. Um, in the trenches, in the Pac-12... You got Oregon, got Washington, Utah sometimes, and then USC got some guys. But like besides that, uh, the other teams are just not very talented in the trenches, you know, offensive line, defensive line. Um, but with all this stuff going on with them, I just struggle to see them being a top twenty-five team at this moment in time because we don't really know what's, what's going to happen with the coaches and stuff. Yeah. yeah, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, you know, like. Especially with, like, there's uncertainty there. And whenever there's uncertainty, it's hard to just project them to be there. Um, If they didn't have any of this uncertainty, I'd be completely fine with it. But with the uncertainty behind the program, I just struggle to put them that highly at this moment in time. I mean, they could obviously prove me wrong and prove that they're a top 25 team, which I think is possible because of the talent that they have. You know, they got Jaden Daniels. They have some good receivers, talent-wise. Um, besides, they got good running backs as well. Um, but I just don't necessarily know what's going to happen, especially with what's going on with the coaches and all that. Another one that kind of surprised me was Michigan. And Michigan's always ranked pretty much because they're one of the more talented teams in the country pretty much every year. Um, obviously say what you will. They can't beat Ohio State, whatever, whatever, whatever. They've always been kind of a 10-2 team that makes a good bowl game um, because they have so much talent. Um, They did pick a starting quarterback in Keg McNamara um, over five-star freshman J.J. McCarthy and Texas Tech transfer Alan Bowman. So, 
um, their biggest issue has always been quarterback play. I don't necessarily think they've had like a game-changing quarterback since Denard Robinson, which is so long ago. Um, that's got to be... Ooh, it's getting close to 10 years now since they've had like a game-changing quarterback. Um, and, you know, since then, they've kind of just not had the best quarterbacks. And the key to success in football, especially, especially in college, you need a good quarterback because you have to, you have to rely on a guy to be able to run the offense, not turn the ball over. And yeah, and be, and, and be like a team leader. Yes. Especially on a team that's trying to compete for national championships. Um, obviously we'll see what the quarterback, what happens with that. You know, maybe JJ McCarthy can take over the job. Obviously he was super hyped out of high school. He's, super talented so we'll see if he can do that alan bowman obviously played a lot at texas tech um was a starter there for a little bit um he i think he was kind of a product of texas tech's offense which is air raid so he put up some pretty good numbers um but i just don't know if he necessarily fits the offense that well he's also not been there for as long so i'm not necessarily sure if i'm not familiar with what's going to happen with them um so maybe they'll have a quarterback change during the season they've kind of had stuff like that happen previously um but michigan is not a team to necessarily sleep on because they have talent in on the defensive side they have talent on the offensive side um and we'll see if they can kind of culminate that and if a quarterback emerges. Um, and I think we'll get kind of a good taste of where they're at in week two because they go up against Washington, who was t- ranked 20th in the first AP poll. Um, that That's kind of that's where I sit with the AP poll. Besides that, I'm fine with it. I do feel like Iowa State being seventh, I'm not too sure about that because I'm not I'm not necessarily sold on them completely. Um, they, I'm not necessarily sold on the 2020 season as a whole. So obviously people think that they're the second best team in the Big 12. I don't know if they're necessarily going to be better than Texas, but basically in that top echelon, because the Big 12 is just not that good of a conference, um, but they do have Oklahoma and they do have Texas and then it's them. So we'll see on them. Yeah, I mean Oklahoma, they're they're like a dark horse team. I mean, the thing about it is Oklahoma is definitely going to be a top five team this year, but you know we'll see how they do. But they have like what Spencer Rattler, right? Yeah, he's pretty good QBs. Yeah, he's a young talent. Yeah, he's going to be draft eligible, and a lot of people are putting it in the early, early, early mock drafts. He's yeah projected to be like a number one pick, which could happen, could not happen. I last year first kind of full year starting you know he did have his ups and downs um he does have the talent though so we'll kind of see how he does i'm not necessarily sold on him completely i know he has the talent but i just don't know if oklahoma is necessarily the number two team in the country um yeah i mean that's that's up for debate i mean obviously um 
Alabama's number one right now, but then you have like dark horse teams like Oregon, and then you have teams like you know Clemson, and then another another dark horse team like LSU. It's just it's just crazy, man. But honestly, we'll see what happens. Yep. Okay, so it's the first week of college football, week zero. Um, the games, the lineup this week, not not great. Um, if you're a college football fan, but don't worry, week one is going to be insane, and we'll touch on week one college football next week. But, um, like I said, it's a kind of mediocre lineup. We've got Nebraska at Illinois. We've got UConn at Fresno State. We got Hawaii at UCLA. UTEP at New Mexico State, and southern utah at san jose state um the kind of matchup that could be kind of intriguing for college football fans is going to be the ucla game um because um a lot of the people think that ucla could be kind of a threat in the pac-12 south um and that they believe that they could be a decent team uh, down there um, I'm not necessarily that sold on UCLA. I know they've got um, they've got some experience, um, but the thing is, they just haven't really shown anything over the past couple of years. So it could be a breakout season, or it could just be more of the same. So I'm interested to see how they play against Hawaii. Hawaii is not necessarily a top tier Mountain West team. Um, so if they struggle, that doesn't necessarily bode well. Obviously, struggling early in the season does not have any effect on how you play later in the season. But I think coming in, you're more of a veteran team. You know, Chip Kelly's been there for a couple of years. You know, you kind of have everything set in stone. It's not necessarily, there's no more really moving parts to this whole thing. They're kind of, they're no longer in that early stages of a coaching change. They're kind of into that middle thick part where they're kind of, they should have turned the corner by now. Um, other one that is intriguing, Nebraska again. Um, obviously, they go at Illinois. Illinois is not a good team. I'm just going to put that out there. They're not that good. Um, Nebraska's not that good either. But Nebraska, they kind of need to show something. Scott Frost, he needs a good season. You know, he's 12-20 and 20 since coming to Nebraska, which even though I don't think Nebraska's there anymore as a top team, you can't be losing more games than you win there um, and, you know, just keep a job. He He's... Yeah. It's. I'm not gonna necessarily say it's a make or break year because he has a huge buyout. I think it's twenty million or something. But he it it kind of is in the sense that if he doesn't perform. do anything this year, yeah, if he doesn't perform, I mean that seat's just gonna get even hotter. I feel like the seat's a little bit warm, but yeah, I don't know if he's necessarily feeling it completely. Um. Yeah, I mean, as as you would say, it's wraps. I mean, I mean, if he doesn't have a good year, um, then or at least if he doesn't at least break five hundred this season, then he's definitely on the hot seat, like you said. I mean, twelve and twenty, man, that's that's not good at all. It is not, especially Nebraska. They're a Big Ten team, 
right? And I don't care what kind of resources you have. If you're in a Power 5 conference, you're expected to you're expected to make bowl games. Um, right. Like even at Vanderbilt, who has never been good at football at all. You know, they change coaches <laughs> all the time because they want to kind of recapsulate that success they had with James Franklin um, back in the earlier 2010s. Um, and they just need the right coach there. Um, and I think Nebraska could be in a similar situation where Scott Frost just is not the answer. Um, obviously, say what you will about Scott Frost as a person, you know, as a football coach. But to be a top-tier coach, you have to be able to recruit, and he has never been able to do that. Um, at Oregon, when he was an assistant, he couldn't recruit. When he was at Central Florida, he was not the best recruiter. He won with a lot of the previous guy's talent, um, and he really didn't have to try as hard to recruit to Central Florida because a lot of the talent that you're going to recruit is right there. And at Nebraska, you've got to put in a pretty good effort because they're they can't just go in their backyard and pick out a bunch of four and five stars they've got to go to florida they got to go to texas they got to go to california you know they got to move around the country and find guys that are going to be able to fit their team and nebraska is just not at a point in time where it's an attractive place to go they're not really winning you know the coaches don't really have any juice you know i don't hear a lot of uh uh, I don't hear a lot of, you know, good things coming out of Nebraska. There's not that excitement, you know, there's not any flair, you know, you kind of, you know, social media stuff, that whole thing. Like you kind of want juice when that helps recruit, you want, you know, your name to be out there, you know, you want people to be talking about them. And, you know, some teams have that, like Miami always has that, even when they're not that good. So Miami right. can recruit when they're not that good. Texas, same thing, you know, because they kind of, they have it. You know, they have a spark. They have juice. Uh, Nebraska has none of that currently. And, you know, when they're not putting in the effort to recruit, they need to put in way more effort to recruit because of the position they're in, which is they're not winning. They're in Nebraska. And they don't really have any, they don't have any momentum going for them so if scott frost isn't going to change the way he recruits he's going to have to add momentum by winning football games and so that's why i think this is a make or break year even if it's not necessarily make or break year for his job which i think it could very well be it's most likely a make or break year for that program as a whole definitely okay um Another interesting thing to take from week zero is San Jose State. They won the Mountain West last year. I think they went seven and one. Um, I'm curious if they can recapture that success um, in a normal year. Um, obviously, they've. Yesterday was, I mean, last year, surprise, big surprise, you know, for them to kind of come out and dominate the Mountain West and win. Um, obviously 2020 was a weird year, especially for the Mountain West and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten because they started late. So 
I'm curious to see if they'll recaps, recapture that success that they had um, last year. Obviously, that's not really going to have this whole big, giant effect on, uh, you know, if the playoff or anything like that. But it's just kind of an interesting storyline. And there's not much to go on week zero. There's not... We don't have the big Titans fighting like we will pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, Oregon's going to play Ohio State. Is it week two or three? That's week two. Yeah, week two. It's going to be a good game. Yeah, and then you've got Washington and Michigan. I mean, that's that's a pretty decent big game. Um, you've got teams like... I mean, Oregon's playing Fresno State week one. I mean, you've got Miami playing Alabama, which is going to be... That that should be... Obviously, I think Alabama's going to win, but we'll talk about that next week. But week one is going to be a very, very, very good lineup. There's one game in particular we're probably going to talk about a lot next week, and if you follow college football, you probably know which game that is. Um... If you don't, it's Georgia Clemson. That, yeah. ooh, I'm excited for that one. Me too. Yep. Okay. If you've kind of, obviously, some of y'all, you know, might have kind of taken a little bit of a backseat to the NBA news currently going on because you know it's kind of the off season and it's not like yeah. the big off part of the off season. It's more like less, less. Crazy moves. moves, yeah. You know, more basic, simple stuff. But, you know, there has been some stuff going on, so we're going to kind of just touch on some of that. Yeah, let's get into it. All right, so Joel Embiid just signed a four-year, $196 million extension to stay, with the, to stay with the Sixers. And, you know, personally, I don't see the Sixers winning anything uh, with, you know, Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias Harris as their main core because Embiid simply needs more help. The problem with this situation is that the Sixers are hesitant to trade Ben Simmons, but the problem is they kind of do want to trade him, but they are asking way too much for him. I remember reading reports saying, oh, yeah, you know, they wanted, you know, they wanted four first-round picks and Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins or some, some crazy thing like that for, for Simmons. And they were just asking way too much, you know. There could just be a Simmons-CJ McCollum swap, and that'd be a pretty fair trade, in my opinion. Simmons had a career low in field goal percentages and his, like, stats overall uh, this last season, and he was definitely not aggressive at all. So, you know, the Sixers need to trade him for a playmaker like CJ McCollum or maybe even Bradley Beal, but, you know, I don't think that Simmons is going to be in their long-term future. Um... I think as of right now, they're seeing him as a long-term future. I think they kind of want to keep him, and that's why they're asking prices so high. Um, and I think they still have faith in him as a player. So that's why I think they've been so high on timid him. and yeah, high on him. Is they want to try if they're going to trade him, they want to get so much out of him because they have a lot of they. I don't think they're taking much stock in what he did last year, and I think they're kind of like. Okay, this we know how talented he is. I think they believe in him. With that being said, if he doesn't perform this year, what's going to happen is he's going to have even less trade value, like most likely. Um, 
if they w would look to trade him after the fact. Um, so this is kind of a, do you trust him to maybe perform better and then you can keep him on your team? Or do you want to trade him to try to get as much value as possible because you don't necessarily believe in him? That's kind of, I think, the situation they're in. And I think it's kind of a lose-lose situation because if you stick with him, and he doesn't perform, and then you trade him for less, people are going to call you crazy or dumb or whatever. And if you trade him and then he performs super well, then they're going to be like, well, you didn't believe in him. I mean, obviously, there's there, there are some winning scenarios, which is you trade him now, and then you get a lot of value for him, and he doesn't turn out to be any good. Well, not any good, right. but like elite level. Yeah. You got more value for him than he was worth. Yeah. Or you keep I mean, him and he plays well i mean it's like i mean anything can happen really it's just kind of funny because the sixers you know i don't know they're, they're, they're in a really interesting spot i don't see the sixers winning the east next year at all obviously you have the nets the bucks the the heat you have the the knicks the, 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 knicks, the bulls um i don't know i just think that Overall, the Sixers are, in, like I said, an interesting spot because Simmons has a lot of potential, but he also performed really poorly last season. So we'll see what happens, but I guess he's probably going to remain with the Sixers this season, but maybe he'll get traded within the next uh, year or two, or two years, but we'll see how he does this year. Yeah, we'll have to see. All right, yeah. So um, the next thing that I want to touch on is the Celtics. Uh, just re-signed Robert Williams, forward Robert Williams, uh, to a four-year, $54 million deal to stay in Boston. And I personally, I think he's a very underrated and skillful big man. He he uh, provided good minutes for the Celtics off the bench last year. And I think that he's going to get an increased role this upcoming season. Yeah, I think, I don't know, he was a beast in college. And in the NBA, you know, he's kind of just done what he kind of did in college, just not as much of a high level, obviously, because he's going up against better players. Um, but with how, you know, players are getting paid now, it's pretty good value for a guy like him because, you know, it's like in today's day and age, you don't necessarily need a dominant big man. You just need a guy who's going to do all the dirty work, per se. Um, and he does that. He's He's a valuable player. And at four years, 54, he's getting paid, uh, what is that per year? 54 million? I'm trying to, I'll, I'll calculate it. Yeah, my math is horrible. Uh, he's getting 13 and a half mil a year. Yeah, which isn't, that's not horrible value. I think maybe they didn't have to give him quite as much, but it's not like they're breaking the bank either. That's, it's not the best value, but it's not bad value. It's they they did all right by giving him that contract, I think. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of potential, and he's a good role player, and he's going to get an increased role next year, I think, like I said. All right, the Celtics also re-signed guard Marcus Smart to a four-year, $77 million deal. What do you think about that one? Um, ooh. I mean, personally, I think that Marcus Smart's a very good defender, and he's one of their best like role players. He's a good shooter. He's a streaky shooter at times, but he's a, you know, he's a he's an assassin from behind the arc. He can shoot threes when he's hot. He's hot. He'll be hitting everything, and he's a really good defender. Probably a top ten defender in the league right now. And um, you know, he's he's a good facilitator as well. So he can play off the ball with Tatum and 
Cliff the ball with Tatum and Brown, and I think that he's a very key piece for the Celtics. I know that there was rumors that they were going to trade him, but I think that the Celtics, it's a good move for the Celtics uh, to re-sign Smart. Uh, I'm not opposed to them re-signing him. The thing is, I feel like this this kind of has the makings of a contract they might regret signing in the future. It's not to say Marcus Smart's a bad player. It's just that he, to pay him almost 20 mil um per year is a bit it's a bit yeah and i think maybe i'm thinking with my nfl or other sport mind where you know that's a huge contract um for a guy of his caliber it's kind i think that the nba has always kind of been players are getting paid crazy absurd numbers um so that might be right on value but i just feel like if there's a way to pay guys less, then you got to try that. And I think that's a tough contract to move if you think about it because Supermax is over 30 mil. So obviously he's not close to Supermax, but he's... It's still a lot of, of money. Yeah, he's he's at that contract where it's like, if you want to get rid of it, you're going to have to go to a team that's just kind of not trying to compete and they're willing to take on that big contract if he's not performing to the level you would hope. It's not a contract where, you know, you can move him to... You might be able to move him to a contender, but contenders tend to get those guys who are, are on... superstars, or like that are like like certified stars. Yeah, either superstars Mar- or like lower-paid role players. Yeah, um, I mean, because Marcus Smart's a pretty good player, but he's not like, he's not like you know, Zach Levine, Jimmy Butler, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal kind of caliber. Yeah. Um... I don't know. You just see. I feel like you're the top teams. What they've done a good job of is they get these pretty serviceable role players for really cheap contracts. And I'm not calling Marcus Smart a role player per se. He's obviously starter caliber, but more of a role playing starter. Um, he he's probably going to start on pretty much every single NBA team. Um, so. It's kind of obviously that's kind of what he has. So he's not he's not one of those role players that does that gets paid five mil that that's kind of on value. But you've got to hope that he maybe doesn't fall off. That he continues to shoot the three ball well. That he continues to kind of play defense well and do everything that he does. Maybe even a little bit more to add on to that because. Obviously, Dennis Schroeder got a tiny, tiny deal. And I think Dennis Schroeder's a better player. So I don't think the NBA is fair when it comes to contract money. I don't think people players get paid on, you know, the on a linear scale where if you're better, you get paid this much. I think it's, you know, just depends on the market. Um Yeah, I mean that's yeah, I mean that's debatable. Personally, obviously I think that Smart is a better defender, and he's more consistent offensively than Schroeder. But um, you can—I mean, everyone has different opinions. But you know, Schroeder's Schroeder's hit or miss. He, he'll do good sometimes, and other times he'll play poorly. But he just had a bad run last year in the playoffs. But you know what? It, it, it that is true, man. Uh, you know, there there are some very interesting contracts, and some of these guys are getting overpaid a little bit. Like you know, obviously, I was very shocked to see that big Evan Fournier deal. But honestly, you know, Marcus Smart's a good defender, and the Celtics wanted to keep him. Yeah. All right. So 
Next up, uh, we're going to be talking about the Clippers, man. The Clippers, obviously they re-signed Kawhi and Paul George, and they still have Reggie Jackson, who's a very underrated point guard. Um, and the Clippers just traded away Rondo, Patrick Beverly, and Daniel Oturo for Eric Bledsoe um, to free up cap space. What do you think about that move? Um, it's interesting. Um, obviously, some people like Eric Bledsoe, some people don't. I'm in the boat where I think I like him. You know, he he's a pretty good defender. He, he he's a serviceable point guard. He's better than Patrick Beverly. Is he better than Rondo? Maybe, maybe not. But to try to clear up the cap space, I think it's a good move. It doesn't really move the needle for the Clippers to be a better team. Doesn't it doesn't do much except the cap space. I think that's the main point. That was the whole point of the trade. Um so I think it's actually a good trade for the Clippers because you know they're gonna have more cap space to maybe add you know, a, another role player if they need be, or just another player that they could use to try to compete for a championship. Because I still think they're in that win now stance because they do have Kawhi, they do have Paul George, they just re up them. They're trying to, I think they're going for the top All spot. In. Yeah. And so, Patrick Beverly, that, that, that's what I mean. It's, it was a horrible contract. I did, did, it, like they gave him way too much for his value. He's not a good offensive player, and defensively, he's decent. But that to get rid of that contract, that it's a perfect move. Obviously, this is what happens when you sign players that don't necessarily deserve that money. To that money, when you need to get rid of them, you're gonna have to give up some value that you might not want to get rid of. And Rondo is that. Obviously, Rondo was a bit. He was backup. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's like he's like a vet, but he's still, uh, like you said earlier, service serviceable. I mean, he, he's a he's a good backup point guard that can mentor mentor other guys. Yeah, and he adds a lot of value because he, Rondo is he's always been one of the good playmakers. Um, yeah. He's like that's like his. I think that's probably one of his best abilities is his playmaking. And so you're getting rid of that, which, I mean, I, I feel like it's it's not that – it's a, it's kind of a small price to pay to get rid of the Patrick Beverly contract. Yeah, um, I mean, the Clippers had to make this move happen. As you said, it's a win-now situation for the Clippers. They're, they're a top-four team in the West. They're up there with the Lakers, the Warriors, you know, all these other teams. And – you know, even though they got rid of Daniel Oturo, who's a promising young talent, um, and Beverly and Rondo, I mean, Eric Bledsoe's all right, but they, they mostly did this. Eric Bledsoe's a good backup point guard, but they obviously did this to free up cap space, and they're trying to sign another good forward or small forward or center because, you know, if Kawhi wasn't injured in the playoffs last year, they probably could have went to the finals because Kawhi was just going off, and... You know, Paul George did step up, but then they ended up losing to the Suns in the Western Guards Finals. But, you know, the Clippers are definitely still a top three team in the West and probably a top four team in the NBA. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I think it's pretty clear cut and dry, you know, this trade. I don't think there's anything to really dissect, you know, it's just money. And, you know, that kind of comes down to a lot of the league is you got to have the money to be able to compete which is why 
you got to have GMs and presidents and people in your front office that are not going to give out horrible contracts. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the main reason that this move is clear up cap space and, and hopes to sign new free agents. Uh, and they might also sign, I mean, I'm pretty sure they're, they're trying to re-sign Nick Batum as well, but they might trade him. We'll see. Um, all right. So another move, Jeremy, is um, the Cleveland Cavaliers are requiring restricted free agent marketing and lowering marketing from the Bulls on a four-year, $67 million deal. Um, that's reported by Woj. Uh, the Bulls will receive Derek Jones Jr. in a lottery-protected 2022 first round pick from the Blazers and a 2023 second round pick from the Den- from the Denver Nuggets via Cleveland and the Cavs will also send Larry Nance Jr. to Portland. What do you think about this trade? Um, obviously Blazers get rid of Derek Jones Jr. who was not re- he's he didn't really add a lot to the Blazers. Not to say he's a bad player, he just didn't add a lot. But they also again gave up a first round pick. Like they always do. I don't know what it is about the Blazers, but they just do not like having first round picks. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it is. We just always trade away these picks, man. It's weird. <laughs> obviously, it's lottery protected, but at the same time, let's say you're eighth seed in the playoffs, so you make the playoffs, but you're the eighth seed, and you get bounced out in the first round. That could potentially be like the fifteenth or sixteenth pick, which is a middle round first round pick. Um, yeah, it's which big. if you have two first round picks. Let's say you have that one, and then the Cavs. Um, obviously, it's going to the Cavs, right? Um, no, it's yeah. going. Yeah, it's going to the Cavs. I think whoever's going to. Let's say they end up having a bad season, or they end up making the playoffs as more of a borderline team. They have two picks in the mid-teens. You can try that up potentially into the lottery. Yeah. Um, so they the getting a first-round pick, even if it's lottery protected. Not necessarily a bad deal, especially when it comes to the Blazers, because the Blazers, they have enough talent to make the playoffs. Um, yeah. So chances are, I mean, obviously, it's 2022, so that's next year's draft. So, yeah, they that they basically could have just traded away their first-round pick again. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't get what the Blazers are doing, man, but... Uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to the Bulls instead of the Cavs because the Bulls will receive Derrick Jones Jr. and a lottery protected 2022 first round pick. Okay. So the Bulls will, will will get that pick. But um, I mean, you know, to touch on what you just said, man, I just think that you know the Blazers make some questionable moves. Like you're in a spot where Damian Lillard's in the prime of his career and you're not benefiting him. You're not trading CJ or or Nurkic. And you know, I was reading some article. There was some sort of interview where McCollum was saying, yeah, I'm all in, or Lillard's all in for this season. It's like, dude, it's not like the Blazers are just going to miraculously become this better team. They're always going to be a fifth to eighth seed team when they have the current roster the way it is, you know? I mean, just think about it. They haven't improved their defense. They haven't even tried to get a guy like DeMontis Sabonis or Jimmy Butler or Paul George or, you know, Siakam. And... It's just frustrating as a Blazers fan because obviously we have a new coach, but all we're doing is signing role players. Like Larry Nance Jr. is not going to push the needle for for the Blazers, and it's frustrating to watch because you know we're still trying to improve our defense, and we haven't done much to do that. But I don't know. It's just weird, man, because the Blazers drafted Zach Collins in the first one. We did have first-round picks, and then Simons, he's okay. He's a good backup point guard, but we still haven't made any huge moves. Yeah, um, I think part of that has to do with Neil Shea. I think he yeah, kind of terrible has, manager, terrible manager. I think he has an ego, and I think he's built this team, and I think he wants to 
I think he's willing to die on that sword that he built this team and that it wasn't him. It was the coach. And that's why he got a new coach. And it's not the team. It's not the team. It's not the team. So he's going to make these small little deals, you know, to try to improve the team and be like, look what I did. We did this, blah, 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 blah. But he's not willing to blow up the team because I think his ego is too high that he's just not willing to do that. Yeah, I completely agree, man. It's just stupid because when you fire, you know, your head coach and your whole coaching staff and you get a new coach, sure, get a new coach. That could improve your team somewhat, but that's not going to push you over the hill or over the edge because if you just get a new coach, that might change a few things, but the main thing that was going to make the Blazers a true title contender is trading McCollum or Nurkic because they need to improve their defense. And I've said this numerous times, but, you know, like you said, you know, Olshay, he did do a good job of drafting Lillard and CJ. But since then, the Blazers haven't done much since 2019. Sure, they made the Western Conference Finals in 2019, and that was a good run. But, you know, recently they haven't done much at all. And signing guys like Ben Malcolmore, Cody Zeller, Larry Nance Jr., and uh, who was the other guy? Ben Malcolmore, uh, Larry Nance Jr. Yeah, anyways, signing dudes like that, it's not going to get you that far. So I don't know what they're doing, but, you know, obviously if we don't trade CJ, the Lillard's going to be gone, and then the Blazers are just going to be screwed. So it's just tough. Well, I think this trade is actually good for the Blazers. I mean, besides getting rid of the first-round pick, I think Larry Nance Jr. has a lot more value to their team than Derek Jones Jr., that's a lot of juniors, but I think I think Larry Nance Jr. I think it's actually this is a good move when you just kind of think about just the addition of the players currently. Um, yeah, I mean Larry Nance Jr. was injured for a bit, but he has a pretty big upside. He's a good role player. I mean he he's he's a good defender, um, but it's still not going to push the Blazers over the over the hump. Uh, to, to be like the top four team, you know, yeah, they not still even have close, but yeah, it's just tough. They need to get a good, like I said, get a guy like Sabonis or freaking, uh, you know, Siakam. But you know, Derek Jones Jr., he was uh, a very, he was a very athletic player, but the Blazers didn't utilize him right. They he wasn't really part of their, you know, 10 man rotation, and I think that he'll do good, good with the Bulls. But you know, Larry Nance Jr. is a good defender, so it's not a terrible move for the Blazers, yeah. I think this this can't be the only move. If they make this move and then they make other moves, this is going to look like an even better move. But at this moment in time, it's a good move. But, but not this, good enough. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's, yeah, it's good, but not good enough. That's true. Um, yeah, the Blazers need to do more, man. They need to improve their defense. But they do have Billows, but we'll see how he does as their coach. All right, so next topic Andre Iguodala returns to the Warriors. He's a good veteran, and he's a former Finals MVP in 2015. He didn't deserve that Finals MVP, but we move. Yeah, we so. move. No, it was yeah. Curry's. Should have been Curry's. Yeah, I mean, that's that's up for debate. I mean, Iguodala played really good in that series, but so did Curry. So, I mean, they were, they were, they were both outstanding that series, but... You know, anyways, Iguodala is going to mentor the young the young players and the Warriors, and I think this is a good move for the Warriors. And, you know, while we're talking about Golden State, I also wanted to add that I saw a report yesterday that said that Jalen Rose, you know, said that the Warriors are a dark, dark, dark horse title contender, and a lot of people are sleeping on them. You know, I touched on this on the last episode one and a half weeks ago. Um, and, you know, the Warriors, I believe that the Warriors have a better chance to win it all than the Lakers simply because they have a better core. They have these young players like Moses Moody and Kuminga. 
and have you know James Wiseman, Draymond Green still doing good. Clay Thompson's coming back. Steph Curry, Jordan Poole is their backup point guard. Kevon Looney, they're just stacked. I mean, they also have Andrew Wiggins. I mean, they're a very, very good team that people are sleeping on. And ever, ever since the Lakers got Westbrook, everyone's saying, oh, the Lakers, it's going to be the Lakers and the Nets in the finals. Like I said, I don't see that happening. I think it's going to be something like the Warriors and the, you know, maybe even the Bucks again. It could be, it could be the Nets. We'll see how they do, but. I mean, you can't sleep on the Heat or the like. You, I mean, the Knicks are a pretty good team too, but the Heat, the Knicks, um, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good teams in the East too. Yeah, um, I like the Warriors. You know, obviously Curry's the best point guard in the NBA. He's arguably the best point guard of all time. Um, that's not a debate we're gonna have right now. Or yeah, today. I mean, obviously. Obviously, I think Magic's the best point guard. I think Curry's second best. But you know what? I just wanted to say, you know, with, with, you know, the Warriors having a core of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, with Wiseman as a young star, and then they have Kuminga and Moody, two lottery picks, and then they have you know Wiggins and Wiseman. All these guys, they definitely have a ton of talent. So people should not sleep on them. But you can say what you want. Yeah, they have talent and they have trade pieces. I've always kind of thought, you know. They've got they've got stuff to work with, um, you know. Wiggins Wiggins needs to become more consistent. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's people. He's not a bust by any means. You know, he was the number one overall pick, and you know, he's put up pretty done, good numbers. Yeah, um, he's done all right. Yeah. He just has not been, you know, an all star superstar. Superstar material. Yeah. yeah superstar all star level player. You know, consistently. Um. And so he he has potential. He has talent. Um, if he can become more consistent, then the Warriors become even scarier. Um, but I think That's we cool. also got to kind of watch out, you know, for in the sense that we're talking about um, uh, which we're talking about, like you know, Clay Thompson coming off of two very serious injuries. And so we um, have no idea how he's going to do it all. Yeah. Yeah, it's just an interesting situation, man, because I think that Thompson's going to be all right when he comes back, but he's not going to come back until December or January, so we'll see how he performs. But let's go. Let's move to the NFL. So obviously the Warriors, yeah. Warriors are, you know, a very good team, but we'll see what happens next season. All yeah, right, they so got the a NFL. lot of question marks. And yeah, yeah the NFL. Teddy NFL, Bridgewater. Right, so Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. He's been really good this preseason, if you've kind of been paying attention. Obviously, preseason's preseason for a reason. But he was named the starting quarterback in Denver. Um, so Drew Locke, kind of out, it seems like. that You know, they've kind of given up on Drew Locke. So I could see Denver targeting the quarterback in this next draft. Um, so we'll see what they do with that. Um, but they named Teddy Bridgewater their starting quarterback. Yeah, and, I mean, person, yeah. What were we going to say? Oh, I was going to ask if you had any thoughts. Yeah, I just think that. You know, I'm a Panthers fan. I've liked Cam Newton for a long time. So I just think that, you know, obviously Teddy Bridgewater is a pretty good QB and he's better than Drew Locke. And Drew Locke, you know, had potential for a while, but he hasn't been performing well. So this is a pretty good move for Denver to, to start Bridgewater. Um, obviously, Bridgewater with a lot more experience as QB. Um, but I'm still questioning why the Panthers literally signed uh, Sam Darnold and they got rid of Bridgewater. Like, honestly, as a Panthers fan, we have a good receiving core. We have McCaffrey. You know, we have DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, 
we're a pretty good team. They're a pretty good team. But signing Sam Darnold, a dude that throws almost as many picks as Jameis Winston, and then you're gonna like let Bridgewater walk. Like I don't know what the what the Panthers are doing, man. But Bridgewater's a good QBI. I think he's 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 pretty talented. I mean, Sam Darnold is young. He has talent. You know, so we'll see. He's moldable. He's moldable. Yeah, we'll see if he can kind of turn it around. Obviously, being thrown into the starting quarterback job for the New York Jets, not necessarily the best situation. And I think a lot of quarterback success has to do with the situation you're in, not necessarily if you're good or not. I don't think if you turn out to be a bust, per se, that you're necessarily a bad quarterback. Sometimes you're just not in a good situation to win. You know, you're not in the right place. Um, you look at a guy like Marcus Mariota who had lit- he had a new offensive coordinator like first couple years of his career like he had no stability you know he got thrown into a starting job on a team that was just not good um, Jameis Winston played for the Buccaneers you know they didn't really have that much talent obviously they had Mike Evans but when you're talking about these guys they get thrown in you know first year fresh out of college you know and they don't have these good teams and what happens with bad teams is they tend to blame it on the coach and not the talent on the team. And so when that happens, you tend to have a lot of instability when it comes to your when it comes to your coaching staff, which has an effect on a younger player. If you have a little bit more continuity, continuity with uh, your coaching staff, that's going to probably benefit. Obviously, if they're a bad coach, they're a bad coach, um, like Jeff Fisher, but. That that whole thing, like if if you're continually having a new coach and you're having to learn a new offense and you're learning new stuff and they're teaching you different stuff, it's like it's not it's not a good situation. Um, yeah. And so, I think what you're gonna see is I think you could see Sam Donald turn it around or maybe not. And I think he could. Well, we'll sometimes quarterbacks come in and they perform super well. Some of them are just better in that kind of situation where they're, they're, they've can kind of deal with that crazy adversity. You know, they're, they're a gamer, they're a baller, you know, and some aren't some kind of come in, you know, they have talent, but they kind of need a little bit more mentorship or just mentoring. Yeah. They need a little bit more mentoring. They need a little bit more, you know, kind of, mental leadership. yeah leadership you know they might need a little bit more uh mental aspects of the game as well as the physical yeah i definitely agree i just think it's an interesting situation because obviously darnold you know um he has potential but he's just still super young like you said so we'll see how he does but i was also going to add that you know when you're in a, when you're in an environment where you're just not in a super good situation if you're a quarterback or your coaches keep changing or you just you're not in a good spot like it's hard to win i mean when you're either on a super you have a really bad old line like matthew stafford for so many years or you just have bad terrible coaches you know it's kind of like where darnold had potential but then he you know he just ended up leaving but i mean i don't know we'll see we'll see how he does though but um Let's touch on the next topic. So Jamar Chase, the number fifth overall pick on LSU, he has some drop issues early, as you mentioned, in camp and in preseason. Talk to me about that one, Jeremy. Um, Jamar Chase, obviously, really good college receiver, and since coming into the pros, 
Um, there's been taught before preseason started, people were saying, you know, he was dropping some balls and now preseason came around and, you know, he's been dropping balls. Um, and people are saying a lot of NFL people, you know, like Des Bryant, whatever they're telling, don't freak out. Don't worry about it. You know, he'll shake back or get the rust off, you know, that kind of whole thing, you know, he'll get his mentals back in place. But I just, I worry just a tiny bit when it comes to that. Because, you know, that's his job is to catch the football. And he's been doing it his whole life. You know, nothing's really changed. You know, obviously, the players have gotten better around him. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of like if he's not catching it in preseason, you know, what's that going to – what's going to be, you know, the thing if it continues, you know? I think think he, he has talent. He has talent, no doubt about it. Um, and if it's a mental thing, he needs to get over that and they need to find a way to get him back in focus, you know, back, you know, his mental straight, his mental's right, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not a professional athlete, so I can't speak for these, these dudes, but you know, it's really a mental issue. If you're, if you're not locked in and you're not all there, you know, sometimes it just gets the best of you and you drop. You drop the ball a bunch. You don't perform well. You throw interceptions. If you're a quarterback, you know, things happen. So I think Jamar Chase still has a ton of potential, and he's a great wide receiver. But, you know, he just needs to he needs to be there mentally and just, you know, be more locked in and just try to stay more focused, really. Yeah, I also don't think he was necessarily the best receiver in the draft class. Um, yeah. I preferred Waddle. Waddle's, Waddle's definitely very good. Yeah, he he's been he's been a super stud since high school and in college he's super fast good hands you know does it all um obviously i don't know if he really fit the Bengals, but i think that's a story for another day but with jamar chase you know drops not too concerning yet but i still think you know if you're a fan of the Bengals, you still kind of need to be a bit concerned um, because, you know, obviously drops might happen, but if it's become an issue, you can't, you can't have a guy on the field that can't catch, you know, especially at That's the true. premier position. Um, and right. so if these continue, he's not going to be on the field, you know, and I know the Bengals, they don't really have the best, you know, depth at the receiver position currently. No. So. To have a top five pick be right in the bench, potentially, I'm not saying he will, uh, potentially because he can't, he's not performing, he can't catch the ball, you know, that he's a liability, you know, that's, that's not, that's not good for their future. Yeah, I completely agree, man. And, uh, I mean, it could be a story for another day, but, I mean, you might as we could just touch on it real quick, I guess. But what I was going to say is that, obviously, you were mentioning how you don't think that Jamar Chase was the best receiver in that draft or, you know, you don't think he was the best fit for the Bengals either. I completely agree with your second statement because, you know, the Bengals could have benefited a lot more by having a guy like Panea Sewell as an offensive lineman. You know, if they had a guy to protect Burrow, that'd be a lot more useful than just a wide receiver because you can get receivers and tight ends anytime, probably. I mean, but 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 generational talents like Sewell or other like really, really good offensive linemen, you don't see those very super often. So I mean, you know, we'll see how um 
Jamar Chase performs, but you know, Panea Sewell could have been a better fit for the Bengals, I think. Well, to touch on that, Penny Sewell has really struggled. Um, yeah, well, let's, let's just go into the next topic, yeah. He he struggled greatly, and he has moved from left tackle to right tackle. And obviously, people who aren't football well-versed in football, they'll be like, what the hell? It's not that much different. It is extremely different. Um, and all the former NFL linemen are going to tell you that, you know, that going from the being a left tackle to a right tackle, it's a whole different ballgame. Um, so obviously I had to move positions. And touching on what you're saying about the Bengals picking him, um, they probably would have put him at guard, which is a completely different position as well. Um, yeah. And the two players that have kind of struggled from the rookie class are the, like, the two main strugglers. Like They've probably been the two that have struggled the most. They also did not play last year in college. They op- They both opted out. Um, now, is that a coincidence or not? Who knows? Probably but, not. I think. Yeah, what were you yeah I don't. It might not be, but I think it could be because you know you're not getting real game reps. You know, especially as an offensive lineman, if you're not going up against guys all the time, you know, like different opponents different players you know even if they're not up to the level of talent that you know you might be getting it's like you can't simulate that with drills you know you can't simulate real football with drills um and so that 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 it could very well be like the main issue uh, for both of them is that they're not they haven't played football in so long and that they're you know that they really, when they were working on themselves, they were working on just drills and not necessarily live football stuff. Um, and that's the thing is, you know, as a guy who played sports in high school and stuff like that, it's one thing to do it in practice. It's another to do it in a game because in practice, you know, it's like mistakes can happen. You know, you can kind of work through them. You know, you might not necessarily be going up against, you know, a defense and practice as much you know it's not it's not the same you know you're very familiar with the people that you're going up against whereas in a game situation you're not as familiar with the people you're going up against because obviously you don't practice against them all the time um and they're not going to throw you at you different stuff that you might not have not seen before um obviously they watch film and stuff but it's completely different from when you're simulating something to actually doing it um and so kind of like not being in a game situation for over a year, that can probably, that probably has a pretty big effect on your ability to play at a high level. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Uh, you know, Jamar Chase opted out of his senior year, uh, didn't play. Same thing with uh, Sewell. So, you know, it, it really is up for debate, but it really depends on the player or the situation that they're in, I guess, because Javon Holland didn't play his senior year, and he's been doing fine, but he's been doing good with the Dolphins. So, you know, you know, obviously this could be worrisome for the Bengals, but Jamar Chase could bounce back, and I think that Sewell will do the same thing. But we'll see how they do. I mean, obviously switching positions from left to right tackle for Sewell, that, that's, that's tough. I mean... Obviously, I've never been a lineman, but if you're if you're changing your position, that that it can have a mental effect on you. Yeah, for sure. Um, talking about a guy who struggled in his previous uh, place, Jameis Winston, really impressive um, in the preseason. Which 
I kind of expected him to be because his his talent level is pretty it's up there. He's one of the more talented quarterbacks in the NFL. So much talent. Um and that's why he was picked so highly. That's why he was, you know, one of the top players coming out of college was because of that talent. And obviously his main issue in the NFL has been throwing interceptions, and that's not necessarily because, you know, he's a bad player. Um, he kind of has that Brett Favre mentality of, you know, he can kind of make any throw he wants to. And he he's pretty close to that, honestly. Um, he has a lot of confidence in his arm, and I think – he was under Drew Brees last year, and I think that I think that's helped him a little bit, um, kind of take it down a notch, and maybe not, you know, kind of, I don't know, maybe humbled him just a tad bit. Um, and so I don't know if he's necessarily going to start for the Saints. I think they might uh, stick with uh, uh, Taysom, Hill? Taysom Hill. Yeah, Taysom Hill. I was blanking on the name for a second. I yeah. think they might stick yeah. out with Taysom Hill, um, which. I'm not necessarily sure because I think Winston has a lot more talent, arm talent. Yeah, I think he, I think he does a lot more for the offense because I don't think Taysom Hill's necessarily. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. I just don't think he has as much arm talent. Obviously, he has more leg talent. He has more athleticism. I think he's best as more of a weapon than his starting quarterback. Like he's more of like better as a, you Utility know, either guy. Yeah, utility, so we can play like receiver, running back, kind of like wide receiver because my bad, yeah. Rece- receiver, quarterback, you know, tight end, running back. Because the thing about – that's what I'm about to say. Because like the thing about Taysom Hill, like you said, he's a very athletic guy, but the arm talent isn't really there compared to Winston. And Taysom Hill, you know, is definitely way more athletic than Winston. He can He's more versatile in the way that he can like, you know, do QB sneaks and run the ball if he wanted to as a quarterback, he could run more often, but Winston might just be the better fit for the saints right now. I think just because he has better arm talent and he's more accurate. Yeah. Remember that Jameis Winston, he had a 30, 30 season and obviously I mean, 30 interceptions yeah. is like, I mean, yeah. I mean, even the thing is, even though he did really bad that year, I think that in preseason, what I meant is that he's been performing a lot better and like yeah. he's been more accurate recently, but overall, Overall, accuracy wise, I think that Hill and Hill and uh, Winston are like very close. But but I think that it's really going to come down to the arm talent and just the overall like mental aspect of it. Like who's more locked in, who's more ready for the job. But we'll see who they give it to. Yeah. Um. Yeah. In his final last year, starting, he threw thirty interceptions, but he threw thirty touchdowns, and he was like near the top of the league in passing yards. So it's not like he his it's issue terrible, was yeah. interceptions. His issue was interceptions. It wasn't yeah, it was, talent. Yeah. Um another player he, he just needs to work on his accuracy and just like, you know, be being more careful where he's throwing the ball. Yeah. Alright, what um, were we gonna say? Well another player that's kind of done his thing. Um Mitch Trubisky. Obviously <laughs> He went off against the Bears of all teams um, in the preseason. Former, his former team, man. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Mitch Trubisky. He's probably going to be a backup this year because obviously he's behind Josh Allen. But at the same time, you know, maybe it was just kind of like 
a little bit of payback against the Bears or something, or maybe you know he the Bears didn't utilize him correctly. Who knows? But he he was impressive. And I just found it a little bit funny. Obviously, I have friends who are Bears fans, and I feel bad for them. Um, that if Mitch Trubisky turns out to be good, obviously they're excited about Justin Fields. So you know maybe they don't care. But um, I guess you know. If Mitch Trubisky turns out to be a solid quarterback, um, yikes. That's a yikes. <laughs> yeah, man. I just wanted to add that. Obviously, that's really funny that he went off against his former team uh, as a backup in the preseason. But I just wanted to add that, you know, um, I don't know. I think that, you know, the Bills are definitely a dark horse contender for um, – the championship next year i mean they're they're low-key slept on they have a good receiving core they got Diggs and josh allen is a super young player who's super talented and you know i think the bills are like a top six team in the nfl maybe top seven team in the nfl right now but they're right up there they should be like right up there with the i'm trying to think of other really good contending teams right now you got the packers the chiefs the buccaneers you know i just think that the bills could make a big run yeah i think that they've got the talent um the problem is that I feel like the Chiefs are kind of in a league of their own in the um, AFC, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see, man. All right, so we're done talking about the NFL for today, but one last thing I wanted to add. So our last topic of the day is soccer news. So some people call it football, some people call it soccer. I'm I'm uh, from America, it's soccer. so I call it soccer. Some it's, call it, football, it was so. even soccer in the UK. This is the thing. It was called soccer by the rich people in the UK, and then I don't know what happened. And that's we we got we got soccer from the United Kingdom. That's where America right. got the term soccer. So interesting. Yeah, well, history lesson like for y'all. Looks like this has turned into a soccer versus football debate because, and you know, other, you know, in every other part of the world besides the United States, pretty much people call it football. But what I wanted to say is the soccer news is today Cristiano Ronaldo signed a deal to return to Manchester United. This is huge news. He's a, you know, so he's an amazing player. Obviously, I'm a Barcelona fan, so I'm not a big Ronaldo dude, and I like Lionel Messi more than Ronaldo, but. You know, you got to give respect to where respect is due. And Ronaldo's a top three player of all time without a debate. So, you know, yesterday there were reports that he was going to go to Man City, Manchester City, but that deal never happened. So Ronaldo hasn't been on Man United since 2009. And at that time, Manchester United also had Wayne Rooney in his prime, who is arguably a top 15 player of all time, maybe top 20. But Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, previous previously played for Manchester United for six seasons from 2003 to 2009, and he was just insane when he played for them. I mean, he he would make these insane free kicks, and he was just a great player, and still is. I mean, he's 36 years old, but he's still a good player, really good player. So Manchester United are definitely a top-five team in the race for the Champions League right now, up there with Paris Saint-Germain, who recently signed Lionel Messi, who are definitely Champions League frontrunners right now, Manchester City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, who won it recently. So one thing, one Champions League recently. So, you know, one thing that is a fact is that Ronaldo's top three player of all time, as I mentioned, non-arguably, he's up there with Lionel Messi, you know, Pele, and then you got Maradona, Ibrahimovic, you other guys in the mix there too. And, you know, Ronaldo scored 81 goals in 98 appearances for, or 98 appearances for uh, Juventus, and he played for the Juventus for three seasons. So... I just wanted to cap it on that, but obviously it's an insane move, especially considering the fact that Manchester City were closing in on signing Ronaldo yesterday. There were there were rumors, 
and then he goes to Man United. So that's just a wild move. But, you know, two of the best players of all time, Cristiano Ronaldo leaving to go to his former team and then Lionel Messi leaving his, his, the team he's been with forever and going to PSG. You don't see that happen too often, two of the best players leaving within a, within a two-month span. So it's pretty wild, but you know, do you want to, it's just crazy. Do you want to talk about anything else, Jeremy, or are we, are we done for the day? No, I think that covers everything. Um, so next week, next week is going to be a big week. Hopefully your cat doesn't wake you up too early because we got a lot to cover, yeah, especially in college yeah. football, dude. I'm for excited sure, for, for the sure, start man. of college football. Me too. Um, yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, so that's one of the big topics. We might cover a little bit more on the NFL, you know, if things happen, if things don't, you know, kind of getting real close to the season. So we might do a preview. Who knows? Um, Basketball, we might talk about basketball. I don't think that much is going to happen in basketball, so maybe not. And then baseball, we'll see if stuff happens. It might just be an update again Um, in the standings update, just like we've done. if you want, maybe we could open up a way for y'all to uh, send in questions uh, and we could do a question of the day, you know, a question of the week, something like that. Who knows? Yeah, um, just Yeah, you can send us the questions on our Twitter. Jeremy, you can plug that after I say this. I also wanted to mention uh, you can just DM me at JackMacArthur10 on uh, Instagram and send me your questions or you could just do it in the comment section on I think you can leave reviews on Spotify as well, but on Apple Music or on Apple Podcasts, you can just, instead of leaving, I mean, that'd be great if you guys could leave reviews as well, but I was going to say just you could write comments there too, but you know, uh, Jeremy, could you drop the the Twitter so people can just tweet at us with questions maybe? All right, so our Twitter is NXTManUp, at NXTManUp. Go follow the Twitter. We'll probably, that's where we're going to post uh, tweets about when the podcast is going out. You could probably DM us. Maybe we'll tweet out, hey, anybody got any questions for us to answer? Stuff like that. Um, it's mostly going to be an update thing. Maybe we'll give out some things, you know, if we miss some things that we can't talk about in the podcast, you know, maybe we'll, you know, just give a little short answer to something. Uh, that's kind of what Twitter's for. Uh, go follow it if you'd like to. Um, give us ratings on Spotify and Apple Music. It really helps out. Um, anything else? No, that's pretty much it. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will catch you next week for episode five. Peace out, everybody.